Revelation chapter 6. So now that we have moved our study of Revelation from Sundays to Tuesday night, um, we want to just be reminded that truly the book of Revelation, more than a book about future events, is a book that unfolds for us or unveils for us who Jesus Christ really is. It's one of the reasons I think that Satan, in his strategy, tries to keep people away from the book of Revelation. Because without the book of Revelation, we only have a partial picture of who Jesus Christ really is. For instance, as we dive tonight into Revelation chapter 6, let's remember what we learned in Revelation 5 from Sunday. That, that Jesus Christ, as the creator of the universe, had a design for his universe to be a, an environment of perfect righteousness in which his highest of creation, uh, human beings, would rule and reign. And when sin entered into creation through Adam and Eve and, and all of that, it lessened the capacity of Adam and Eve to be able to rule and reign as God intended. And instead of them, in a sense, having dominion over the earth and all the of creation, uh, creation now sort of dominates us. And we struggle to be on top, if you will, of, of things. Things get the better of us. And, and, we learn in Revelation 5 from Sunday that there's only one person uh, that, that can make this right. And that is Jesus Christ, the one who is worthy to take the scroll from the one who is seated on the throne and begin to open the seals of this very important document that's been described for us in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. And as he opens these seals, what he is doing is several things. First of all, he is going to, through these sealed judgments, he's going to put down all human and demonic rebellion against his lordship once and for all. He's going to, through this, create a kingdom here on earth in which you and I can rule and reign with Christ. And he's going to prepare us and make us ready uh, and fashion us for that role so that he can restore us and restore this creation one day to what he always intended. So we begin chapter six with this. I want you to think first of all, when we come into Revelation chapter six about the action of the lamb, the action of the lamb. Uh, you'll notice here in Revelation chapter six, I looked on when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Remember, it was He who was the only one in the universe found worthy to take the scroll and begin to open these seals and reclaim and restore and make things right once and for all. And so the action of this Lamb is that He is beginning now to open the seals and all of this is going to start unfolding by divine intervention. I want to point this out again, though. This is very important. The word lamb that's used there is a word in the original language that's used for the very small, diminutive, little, sacrificial lamb. And yet in Revelation, notice that the lamb is the one who is going to begin pouring out judgment. And you have this sort of 
weird thing here where you have to and I have to balance our view of Christ. And it's one of the reasons why people, even Christians, have such a warped view of God and of Jesus today. Because all they've ever known, all they've ever went after, all they've ever heard is that God is love. And that's a true statement. But that's, that's as far as they take it. And, and, and they look at Jesus as the Lamb of God that came to sacrifice and the humble servant lay down his life for his friends. That, that's a beautiful picture. But just like you and I, that's only one aspect of Christ's character. That's, that's only one part. There's another part of Christ. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe who's going to very, very plainly, very visibly, very clearly take control of this universe and make things right. And he's going to do that through judgment. So the one who is opening the seals and beginning to judge the earth is none other than the Lamb of God. And if we don't realize that there, in a sense, is is two aspects to Christ. He is the Lamb, but he's also the Lion. That He is a God of love, but He is also a holy God who will judge sin. Then we have an incomplete picture of Christ if we don't have a balanced biblical view of who Jesus is. There are very few Christians even who in their churches ever hear that Jesus Christ judges anything. That He is going to pour out His wrath on on the earth. They don't hear that. They never do. And so they have a very warped view of Jesus. And, and, and then, you know, it obviously then leads to a warped view of God and how he works and all of that. And so again, I think that's one of the main reasons why Revelation is so huge. We cannot stay away from the book of Revelation. Because it gives us an accurate biblical view of the glorified Christ. Yes, he came as the Lamb of God. But now this Lamb, because of his sacrifice, is the one who's going to begin to open the seals and pour out his judgment upon all earth dwellers who have rebelled and rejected his lordship in their life. And we're not going to take a lot of time to go down through each of these, but I did want to point that out. I looked on when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And then the Bible says in verse 3, the Lamb is the one that opened the second seal. And notice in verse 4, in this seal, the the second horse, if you will, that uh, this one was fiery red, came out, and, and it rode, and it was granted permission to take peace from the earth. Well, who gave it permission? Who gave it its authority? Who gave it its power? The Lamb. The Lamb is behind it all. That's what we have to see. Can I just say, too, not to get too theological here tonight, although it's important that we be theological, that this is one of the reasons why I reject personally that the entire seven-year tribulation is not the wrath of God. I think very clearly from the very beginning of the tribulation, which is beginned, which begins to be described in Revelation chapter 6, that we're going to see later on, this is God's wrath. It's all God's wrath. It is the wrath of the Lamb we're going to see in Revelation chapter 6. And he begins to pour out that wrath upon the earth. Literally, the phrase, take peace from the earth, in verse 4, means to cause massive disturbances worldwide. 
so that people will literally slaughter and butcher each other. The word speaks of violent death. And that's why this rider is given a huge sword. We think that there's revolution and anarchy and chaos now in the world. Wait till after the rapture of the church and believers are gone from this earth and all that is left are those up to this point who have rejected Christ. Then wait to see what breaks out. Now again, I don't think we're going to be here, literally. We will be in heaven with the Lord. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Notice verse 5. The Lamb is the one who opened the third seal. And the black horse came out. The one who had a balance scale in his hand. Literally, that meant in the original, a yoke, a burden or bondage. And I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat will cost a day's pay at this point, And three quarts of barley will cost a day's pay. We think prices are high now. Wait till in the tribulation when the Antichrist and the world leaders control the prices of even the basic necessities of life. And even the basic necessities of life are going to be very hard for people to buy. But notice what it goes on to say. But do not damage the olive oil and the wine. In other words, it's a picture of what is is also here today, but it's going to be on a much larger scale. Scarcity in the midst of plenty. You see, a lot of people won't have anything, and then there will be a few, the minority over here, who have the luxuries of life still. And the gap is going to continue to widen as we go through human history. I mean, I was even made aware of this through Market on the Move, that... You know, there's all this plenty of food to feed people who are hungry. But through the controls and different things that people have tried to do, it's almost like they, they try to control the food getting to the people who really need it. And that, that's going to continue to get worse according to Revelation chapter 6. And then verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. So I looked and here came a pale green horse. Literally, it's the word in the Greek that that means ashen or sickly. Like when we used to say, you look a little green. (laughs) You know, you don't have any color. You look a little pale. You don't look well. That's this horse. And the name of the one who wrote it was death. And Hades, obviously, the place of the dead, the grave followed right behind. Now notice this, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill its population with sword, famine, disease, and by wild animals of the earth. The stench of death will be everywhere. How many billions of people on the earth right now? A fourth of the earth will die in one judgment. That's a a lot of people, folks. And who's behind it all? The Lamb. The Lamb is the one who's opening up the seals. The book of Revelation is reminding us we must not misunderstand who Jesus Christ is and we must not underestimate who the Lamb is. He is the Lamb, but He's the Lamb of God. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And He's going to make things right one day. 
And he's going to finally again put down all rejection and rebellion of who he is. And one day he will be acknowledged and given his rightful due. And this is all coming from the Lamb. In fact, just to skip ahead, notice in verse 15 of chapter 6, to show you that this judgment is universal, no one is escaping, the Bible gives us seven different sort of categories of people in verse 15. There's the kings of the earth, They're the very important people, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slave and free. No one's going to be able to escape based on their wealth, power, status and position. Now, notice they're going to seek to hide themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains Doesn't it sort of remind you of what Adam and Eve tried to do whenever they sinned against God? And instead of going to God and acknowledging it, they tried to hide from God in the garden. And God was not relenting. He was going after him saying, I'm coming after you. I'm not letting you out there to live in that sinful condition. I've got a solution. So God went out, out and of course, too, they, they tried to sew fig leaves on. They tried to make their own covering. And God said, no, I've got to make the covering and it's got to come through blood. I'm going to give you animal skins because that symbolizes the life of that animal had to be laid down. And it was, again, a picture that without the remission of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. So we move on. They say to the mountains, verse 16, and to the rocks, fall on us. Literally, we want to be removed and hide us, conceal us from the face, the look, the countenance of the one who is seated on the throne. And don't miss this from the wrath of the who? The lamb. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? Because most people don't associate wrath with lambs. But this lamb is not just any lamb. This is God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's finally making things right. And John says, because the great day of their wrath has come and who is able Who is capable on their own of withstanding or preventing it? Nobody. Nobody can hold back whenever God says, this is what I'm going to do. You know, man in his pride thinks, I'm in control. I got this all figured out. I know how this is all going to end. No, you don't. God is in control. And he always occupies his throne. And he's going to set things right one day. Now, when we talk about God's wrath, I think it's really important because, again, a lot of Christians really, I think, have a lot of undue anxiety in their life thinking, are we going to be part of this and are we going to be ones who are going to experience the wrath of God as well? Let me give you just two verses tonight that I hope will 
help give you peace that you will, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not be part of this. You will already be in heaven. Turn to Romans chapter 5 verse 9 is one of those verses. Romans chapter 5. The Bible clearly says in Revelation 6 that this is the wrath of the Lamb being poured out. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. In fact, I might have to start a verse earlier. Might have to start with verse 8. Romans chapter 5. I've got to find it first. I know it's after the book of Acts. There we are. There it is. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin reading in verse 8. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than because we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him from God's what? Wrath. The wrath of God is reserved for those who are not children of God. If God sent His Son to take our punishment for sin so that we would not have to be condemned, then why would God allow His children, His church, to go through the tribulation that clearly is the wrath of the Lamb whenever the Bible clearly says part of it is He saved us so that we wouldn't have to go through that wrath. And then 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Just coincidental that the verses and the chapters are the same. Romans 5, 9. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. He's speaking here to Christians in the context. And he says, God, for God, verse 9, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. For God did not destine us for, what is it? Wrath. But for gaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, folks, my personal stance on this is that what we are now experiencing, learning about, seeing happen in Revelation chapter 6 and on is part of what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. There's so many different names for this period of history. The Great Tribulation, the Day of the Lord, you name it. There's like 15 different names for this period of history. I believe it's a seven-year period of history. And I, I believe that the church is going to be raptured snatched away, caught away before this happens because God does not want His people to go through wrath. This is reserved for those who have rejected and rebelled against Him. So back to Revelation. We've seen the action of the Lamb. We, we want, don't want to misunderstand the Lamb. We don't want to underestimate the Lamb. And we've seen the wrath of the Lamb. And again, the wrath of the Lamb is being poured out so that He can put down all earthly rebellion once and for all. He will eventually put down all demonic rebellion against Him. And He will establish His kingdom on this earth that you and I will rule and reign with Him. And there's another thing he's doing by pouring out his judgment. He's also vindicating his people. 
specifically here in this context, he is vindicating those who do come to know Christ during the tribulation, give their life to him, but end up being martyred because of their faith. We see this back in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, the fifth seal. When the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been violently killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had given. Notice, where were these people as soon as they died because of their, of their stand for Christ? during the, They were in heaven with the Lord. And they cried out with a loud voice. How long? Literally, up to what point? Sovereign master. Holy and true. Before you judge those who live on the earth and avenge or vindicate us and avenge our blood. And each of them was given a long white robe. That's where we get the whole white robe thing. And they were told to rest for a little longer. Those words mean to remain calm. It doesn't mean to kick up your shoes and be inactive. It means to remain calm and composed with expectation. Vindication is coming. Those who have done this to you will be judged and put in their place and things will be made right. They won't get away with what they've done to you. Until the full number, the full measure, the full fulfillment was reached of both their fellow servants and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. In other words, there were more believers during the tribulation who were going to come to Christ and end up dying and being martyred for their faith. That number had not yet been reached where God says enough. He was going to let it go. I want to make a distinction here. I know time is getting going by. Primarily, I don't want to say all because it's not true, but primarily today, God's wrath is seen in just the fabric of the way he set up the universe. What do I mean by that? Well, the biblical principle for all of us, whether we're believers or not, is that God is not mocked and whatever a man sows, that is what he reaps. So within the fabric of this universe, God said, if you blow me off, if you disobey me, if you reject my word, if you go your own way and do your own thing, that's your choice. But just remember, there will be built in consequences to disobedience to me. And when we talk about the wrath of God today, that is primarily how the wrath of God is played out. Yeah, he doesn't come with these great judgments today. Okay. But that doesn't mean that somehow God's personality changes at a time in history. And now all of a sudden God gets mad or something, or he just all this build up over a period of time and then he just blows his top. No, God has always been intolerable in his stance on sin. He hates sin because he understands how destructive sin is to us, to any human being. And he cannot stand idly by and do nothing about it. So within the fabric of the universe today, God has said, 
you will experience my wrath in that you will sow or you will reap what you sow. But what Revelation 6 is teaching us is there is coming a day where it won't be God's wrath so much set forth in a passive form as much as his wrath will now be set forth for all to see in a more, much more active, visible, dramatic form. But it's always there. It always has been there. It always will be there. There are always consequences to sin, even forgiven sin. Just because God forgives us or forgives someone else doesn't mean that there may be not consequences. And sometimes God in His mercy and grace wipes those consequences out. Sometimes He lessens those consequences. In fact, the Bible says very rarely do you and I as human beings ever really pay the price that we should pay, if you will, as far as consequences go for what we do. But one day that's going to all change. That's part of what Revelation is saying as well. But the other thing is, why is all this happening? Because he's vindicating his people who have literally given up their lives for faith in Jesus Christ. The action of the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. Look at chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so no wind could blow on the earth and on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel descending from the east who had the seal of the living God. He shouted out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given permission to damage the earth and the sea. Do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And I heard the number of those who were marked with the seal, 144,000 sealed from all the tribes of the people of Israel. And then beginning in verse 5, he, he basically goes down through all 12 tribes and says there's 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe. What does all this mean? One thing it means is that even in the tribulation period, there's always a remnant of people who are serving God. Oh, God always has a remnant of people, even in the darkest time of human history, the tribulation. And God is going to call out from the nation of Israel, 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will go out into the world and basically preach the gospel to people in order to bring them to Christ, Jew and Gentile. But remember, the reason why these are 144,000 Jewish evangelists is because, again, I believe the church has already been raptured. And this is now this seven year tribulation part of Daniel's 70th week where God now turns his attention away from the church. The church is in heaven and now turns it back for that one seven year period to the nation of Israel. And to follow through with the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now, here's an interesting thing. Since 70 AD, Jewish people don't even know what tribe they're part of anymore. In 70 AD, when Titus came in and basically destroyed the city of Jerusalem, they also destroyed all the records of ancestry. So that down through the years, people today, if you went up to a Jewish person and you ask them, what tribe are you from? They wouldn't know. But notice, God knows. God knows what tribe that Jewish family is from. He knows. It just reminds us that God knows so much more than we do. 
And God is going to call out 12,000 evangelists from each of the 12 tribes. The other thing I want you to notice about the servants of God here is the seal of God. Because as we read down through verse, the first four verses, several times it talked about the importance of sealing them. In fact, in verse 3, the angel says, Do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal, literally a mark of security on their foreheads. God is going to preserve them through the tribulation so that no harm will come to them. You see, it reminds us again that God is sovereign and nothing can happen to his servants unless he allows it because he is sovereign. You and I have a seal as Christians today. Remember the verse that Paul says in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is our mark of authentication, identification, confirmation, security, whatever you want to call it. The Holy Spirit living within us is our seal today. That is the guarantee, the earnest, the deposit that everything God promised to us will happen one day because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We also are sealed. The other thing we notice in chapter 7, like we've been noticing in the book of Revelation 2, is you have this description of all the horrible things that are happening on the earth, and yet every once in a while, John takes us back to a scene in heaven to balance it out and go, oh, by the way, yeah, there's this stuff, but don't forget what's happening in heaven. And so notice, beginning in verse 9, the praise of the Lamb. After these things, I looked, and here was an enormous crowd, a great number of people that no one could count, made up of persons from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They were shouting, literally crying out in a loud voice, Salvation! which simply means deliverance, preservation, safety belongs to our God, to the one always occupying the throne and to the Lamb. I say that because that's what that word seated means in the original language. Always occupying. Though we may at times think God is not in control, He's lost control, He's left the throne, Somebody else is in control. The Bible clearly tells us in the book of Revelation, God always occupies the throne. Always in control. And all the angels, verse 11, stood there in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they threw themselves down with their faces to the ground. Again, we've seen already in the book of Revelation, this is simply an expression of humility and devotion. And they threw themselves to the ground before the throne and worshipped God. The word worship, an expression of profound reverence and respect. Another word we could use there is the word adoration. They adore God. They don't just like Him a lot. They adore Him. And when you and I get to heaven, it's not going, yeah, we, we sort of like God. He's pretty, no, we will adore Him. God wants us to begin to love and adore Him now. saying, Amen, 
Praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The praise going on in heaven. In other words, God in heaven is still being acknowledged for who he really is. And on earth, no. But it's coming. It's coming. Then I want you to see, as we close tonight in the last few verses of chapter 7, the provision of the Lamb. One of the elders asked me, These dressed in long white robes, who are they and where have they come from? So I said to him, My Lord, you know the answer. They said, Then he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of, literally come into being or arisen from the great tribulation. The words great tribulation in the Greek language literally mean a pressing together. In the language of the Greeks, they also used these words to to describe the crushing of grapes that were harvested. That's why, hence, the intense pressing together. That's what tribulation means. That's why when the Bible says sometimes you and I go through tribulation. It simply means there are times and seasons of our life where we feel like we're being pressed, where we're going through a strait, where things are closing in and we're on a very narrow path. What's really cool about that is in Psalm 23, David, the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which really that language in the Hebrew mirrors this language in the Greek, speaking of a very narrow pressing in place, he says, I won't fear any evil because you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. That's simply what the great tribulation means. They have washed, I love this, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The word washed really is a cool word because it it comes from the Greek word to flow. And it's almost this great picture of that there is a fountain, the old hymn writer said, that is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And it's almost this this picture that God has provided a flowing stream to wash people as white as snow from their sin if they just call upon the Lord. It's always available. It's always there. People can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. What a great picture. Hopefully you and I have had our lives washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. There's nothing better than knowing we've been made clean through the blood of Jesus. For this is the reason they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. Again, people are like, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? We're going to be bored. No, first of all, we know that heaven's a place of learning. We're always going to be learning more about God because God is an infinite being and there's no end to God. And so we'll be learning throughout eternity and we're going to be serving. We're going to be active. We're going to be ruling and reigning. God is going to give us an allotment, a territory to manage based upon our faithfulness here in our Christian life. Just as these folks are who come out of the great tribulation. And I love this. Talk about provision. Verse 15. And the one seated on the throne will shelter them. Literally, the word shelter means to surround and envelop. 
That's a cool picture. It's like God just sort of surrounds us and envelops us. And then the Bible says in verse 16, they will never go hungry or be thirsty again. Now, you can take these words simply to mean physical hunger and physical thirst, but they have more of a meaning than that. The word hungry here literally means to toil for daily needs. In other words, don't miss the fact that one of the things God has provided is that part of the curse back in Genesis is that we will work and sweat and toil for things. But when we get to heaven, there won't be this toil. We will serve. We will work. We will be responsible. But it won't be like beating our heads against the wall sometimes to accomplish something. That will be gone. That's implied in the word hungry here. There won't be that toil, if you will. And the word thirsty speaks about being painfully limited. The fact that you and I, because of these bodies... That, that, that we're so limited and we do experience hunger and thirst and we have physical and emotional and even spiritual limitations on this side of heaven. But when we get to glory, that's all going to change. I'll be able to eat a whole pan of brownies and not feel guilty about it. All right, we'll go on. And the sun, this is important for those of us who live in Phoenix. The sun will not beat down on them nor any burning, literally painful heat like my little bald head got on Saturday. (laughs) And and verse 17 says, because the lamb is right in the middle. He's among, he's in the midst of the throne and he will shepherd. The word shepherd means to care and provide for and he will lead them. The word lead means to teach and guide and he's going to lead us to springs of living water. Literally an overflowing fountain of refreshment. I'm just going to throw it in here. An oasis. There will be an oasis in heaven. But it's going to be the oasis. And then chapter 7 ends with, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. By the way, very interestingly, the word wipe here is in the original language, the word where we get the word anoint from. And remember when I talked about anointing and what it means, that many people concentrate on the oil, the substance that's used in the Bible for anointing, but in the Bible, the Bible more, and God looks more at the perspective of the hands that apply the oil and and apply the ointment and rub it in. And and so get this beautiful picture that, that one of the provisions of God is that I believe God's hands will literally be on our glorified bodies. And He will literally take our face and He will literally wipe away our tear. And God's hands will be on our bodies and He will be, He will be anointing us and He will be touching us and He will be physically showing His love and affection for each one of us. Now how that all happens, I don't know. But I believe it's going to happen one day. God, in a very tangible, physical way, is going to show all of us, each of us individually, just how much He loves and cares for us, that at some, in some way, He's going to sit down with each of us and He's going to wipe those tears away. 
You and I can't read and study the book of Revelation without being moved, I guess, would be one word to use, by the unbelievable contrast between the destiny of those who reject Christ and the destiny of those who accept Him. And I hope, if nothing else, folks, that as we get a true, biblical, sound, balanced picture of who Jesus is, that one of the other things that that will do for us is motivate us, inspire us to be willing to not only live for Jesus in such a powerful way to be a a living example, but to seize those opportunities when God gives them to us to talk to people who don't know Jesus about Him. To, to, to be a witness. Even if we're laughed at. Even if we're mocked. Even if we're scorned. That, that we have the heart that God has. That we're willing to put ourselves out there. Invite people to church. Talk to them about Christ. Talk to them about our faith. Because if we really capture what's going on here in Revelation, one of the things we will come away with is just how horrible the destiny of those who reject Christ and go out into a Christless eternity compared to the destiny that God has for us, His children. And it should, it should make us pray more diligently for those who are not saved. It, it should make us seize those opportunities more it should just make us someone who's wanting always consciously to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We can't make people come to Christ, but we certainly can plant the seeds. Then the decision is between them and their God. But we can plant the seeds. And may we here at the Oasis be a church of seed planters as God sends us out there into the community to share the gospel, the good news, with people. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I know that tonight was such a feeble attempt on my part to try to cover these things in this great book of yours. To try to, in some way, share an accurate accurate biblical picture of who you are to these folks tonight. But God, I pray in some way that you will work beyond me in such a a way that, that I not be a hindrance in any way to them seeing you for who you are and all your glory and holiness and greatness, and and to be reminded that, God, you are a God of love. But God, you're also a holy God. A God who has always said, I must judge sin. Sin is intolerable to a holy God. And you've given us ample warnings in our life. But many people do not heed the warnings. I think in closing tonight about the gentleman 
back in 1980 who lived on Spirit Lake five miles north of Mount St. Helens and was given literally hundreds of warnings to get out before that volcano took his life. And he in his pride said, I know when that mountain will explode and I'm not leaving. And he gave his life, buried under hundreds of feet of mud and ash because he didn't heed the warning. God, revelation is a warning. It's a warning not only to those that don't know Christ, but God, it's a warning to us too. Even your children to stay alert, to stay awake, to be on our toes spiritually and to be committed and devoted to the one who sits on the throne. Help us, God, to adore you. Help us to live for you. Help us to put away self and to die to self and to live for Christ. God, go with us tonight. Make us more sensitive to those around us, Christians and non-Christians. Help us to live to be an encouragement to those around us, God. I believe that we are living in the last days. Oh, we're not going to make predictions. But God, I do believe we are living in the last days and we need to be ready. I do believe the rapture could happen at any time. So God, help us as a church, help us as your people to be ready so that when you come back, you find us faithful doing what you've called us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. Have a great week.